Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, and welcome to The Truth with Bill. Hi everyone, welcome back. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, today I'd like to go over uh, an overview of everything we've covered this far. Um, I like talking about things and, and then kind of bringing them all together, seeing what we have, and then just kind of uh, thinking about it, synthesizing it, and uh, seeing what we got. So let, let's get into it today. Uh, first and foremost, we could say that we've compared uh, Gebser's theory of evolutionary consciousness with that of Doran's origin of species. And with that comparison, we've discovered that Gebser's cultural philosophy has uncovered some definable cultural structures of consciousness uh, that humanity as a whole can be placed in. And we've stated that there is the magical structure and mythical structure of consciousness. Uh, those two in particular each have their own benchmark. One is the spoken word uh, and then the written word. And we are now in a third level of consciousness, um, or rather a, a fourth level of consciousness, counting the first, archaic. Um, and, and they are as follows. Uh, archaic, magical, mythical, mental, which we are currently in, and then the next one will be the integral uh, state of consciousness. Um, uh, through these structures of consciousness, there is a communitive sense of we. We see that especially in the, the magical structure. And as we go out of the magical structure into the mythical structure, we see uh, man and nature separating. We see the beginning, uh, the advent of the written word, and how that forms uh, the structure of consciousness. And as we keep getting out of the woods, so to speak, um, we get more into the I, more into the ego, the me. Um, and it's, it's a, a very definable separation. We see uh, polytheist gods into monotheist gods. And we could, we could pull proofs out from each, each sense of timeline and cultural progression. Uh, we have also come to realize that the divine, through these structures of consciousness, does not change. Only our perception of the divine changes, which of course is based on our current structure of consciousness. Let's say that one more time. We've come to realize that the divine, through these structures of consciousness, does not change. What changes is our perception of the divine as we are in these individual structures of consciousness. What is even more interesting is that even in lower structures of consciousness, we witness individuals that reach or go past our three-dimensional structure of consciousness, a very fourth-dimensional structure of consciousness, which would be the integral structure. And these individuals are as follows, uh, Buddha, Christ, Krishna, Odin, the list goes on. These individuals all show us some access to another perception of reality, another consciousness. And what is even more interesting is that each one comes back to us, to this current, to whatever current structure they were in, they come back to that and they come back saying the same thing. In a sense, fundamentally what they say is that we are beyond an eye of the human figure. We are something much greater than what we think. We are a resounding we, 
they all bring us back to a we, but it's a very different we than what we see uh, in, in, the, um, in the magical structure. This we encompasses love thy, emin, love thy enemy, the Christ love. This is a very fourth dimensional view. And the I, especially in our current structure, has been very resistant to the we that should have already come. Because if we think about these individuals who have been in lower structures of consciousness and reached higher structures and come back to us with this newfound information or this new kind of consciousness, we see that not much has changed. All that has happened is created more duality within separate religions, which of course creates more pain and suffering. And we'll get into that a bit later. Uh, so the I in, in this current structure has been very resistant. And the we should have already come a long time ago. The I, however, the ego, in this current state of consciousness, will fall and give rise to the next. The ego and the I has also given us some very valuable tools in this current state of consciousness. And those tools are what will propel us to the next state. One in particular, and the most impressive tool, I believe, is our technology. We now have the ability to communicate like never before. Now just think about that a second, the ability of communication, and think about that in terms of individuals from lower structures of consciousness who have went to higher structures of consciousness. If communication were globally the way it is today, during uh, Jesus Christ, love thy enemy, word would have spread a lot differently, a lot further. Interesting to note. So let's continue. Uh, so the most impressive tools we said is our technology, communication uh, like never before. What else is interesting, we also have the ability to search other structures in the palm of our hand. How wonderful it is to search all religions, all philosophies, all cultures. And through this search, we can come to amazing conclusions. I believe we can even find a systematic method for reaching a fourth dimensional consciousness. And what's really interesting is that we are all doing this without ever even knowing it. So similar to Darwin's theory of evolution, Darwin observed finches and he noticed different beak shapes and different beak shapes, they had eaten different vegetation. So do you think, do you think that the finches who experienced the physical evolution while it was taking place noticed that it was easier for them to eat some nuts than others? Because we know evolution, physical evolution is a very gradual thing. So certainly the finches had no idea this was lifetimes of change. Well, the same is for us with our cultural, uh, I'm sorry, with our conscious evolution. It's absolutely the same. It goes unnoticed. And this is the interesting part about our talk today, because it entertains the idea of how the next structure of consciousness is coming, and quite possibly that it is already here and present in each one of us.
The eye in this structure gave us technology that's being used in fascinating ways. But before we go down this rabbit hole, let's have a quote. So from Longfellow's The Builders. Longfellow states, In the olden days of art, the builders wrought with great care, every second an unseen part, for the gods are everywhere. One more time, because that is just beautiful and, and it, it's so nice rolling off the tongue. So one more time, In the olden days of art, the builders wrought with great care, every second an unseen part, for the gods are everywhere. Now what does that mean? In the olden days of art, in the days when workers built things with their hands, uh, maybe we can imagine someone painting something on a, a ceiling or maybe a sculptor, and they wrought with great care every second and unseen part. So just not in the front where everyone would see, no, all the parts, even the ones that no one will see. And this is done because the gods were everywhere. So the idea is, is that you have a certain gift or talent. And let's say that gift or talent is painting or sculpting or something of that nature. This gift sets you apart from others and it's distinguishable that you are very talented in this gift. And this gift is precious. This gift is God-given. So because this gift is God-given, to not use this gift or talent to 100% of your ability is defying God. And today, right now, let's take a look at, let's say, our entertainment center, for example. Sure, it looks nice on the outside, right? But with closer examination, we find that it's really not solid wood. It's made out of particle board, basically squeezed together sawdust. Uh, there are stickers that match the wood grain to hide the holes for your wires. Um, there's something on the back that resembles uh, cardboard that's held together with staples. And this all doesn't really seem like the divine gift given to an artesian carpenter, right? Not at all. What does this look like? This looks like the I hard at work, the ego hard at work, the me hard at work. But there's something very interesting happening. And I believe it goes unnoticed. My parents, both of them, make items and they sell them on Etsy. They do this because they love their craft and for no other reason. My father works with wood. He sells handmade wooden items, all of which were wrought with great care. So he doesn't just build the outside of things and make them look pretty. The inside has been taken care of just as well as the outside. And it shows. My mother, my mother makes bracelets. Uh, she sells them on Etsy also. And she does this, you know, not for monetary gain. Uh, she, she puts love and care into these bracelets and she wants to share them with the world share a piece of herself with someone else. And I, I know what, what they make on them. It's, it's like I said, it's not for, for any money for themselves. Most of it just comes from the cost of, of making it. And they do this for the sheer joy of doing it. And what's interesting about this 
is that this is a very fourth dimensional kind of consciousness. And it's not just my parents doing it. It is people all over the world. And it doesn't just stop there. It's this podcast, individual sharing their artistic ability in all forms, is now able to be spread globally. These kinds of jobs, these kinds of hobbies, will be seen as benchmarks for the new structure of consciousness. Why? Because it's fourth dimensional thinking. It's a new kind of we thinking. It's not the I thinking of my entertainment center. No. It's the we kind of thinking of the bracelets my mother makes. I've made this with my heart. I believe this is, this is something very special that, that I've made and I want you to have it. I'm sharing this love and kindness with you and what I've made with my hands, with my artistic ability that is God-given. And these kinds of hobbies and jobs, they're very different than the ego eye that the kinds of jobs we're used to seeing, the kinds of life that we're used to seeing. I was speaking with one of our listeners, and uh, one of our listeners had said that currently 10% of the population is ready for um, a shift in consciousness. Uh, this was also said by uh, Ken Welber, um, the, uh, the other gentleman we listened to with uh, Gepser also. Um, so 10% is ready for a shift in consciousness. And I, I think depending on what we're examining in our current structure of consciousness defines what percentage is ready for the shift. So if we begin to look at things like individuals selling things on Etsy, uh, making things with their hand, wrought with great care, um, the percentage may be higher. And I think there are some other things we could look at too, which may raise that percentage. So we've spoken about uh, this interesting concept of humanity wanting to make and construct with their hands. Uh, something we've seen before, but through a different kind of consciousness. We also have many individuals who speak of not fitting in. Whatever social norms individuals have within their social structures, there are always individuals who do not fit in. As a matter of fact, if we think about it, all of us, every single one of us, at one time or another, have felt like we did not fit in. So what is this sense of not fitting in? It is the I, the me, the ego. It is the dualist thinking that causes individuals to be over here and other individuals to be over here. And any, and any time we have some kind of dualist thinking, there's always going to be some sense of conflict. This is why the fourth dimensional view of consciousness does not see race, sex, uh, sexual orientation, any of these things. You've heard me speak of things like the divine is is one giant soul and we are filled with fractions of that soul. This is a fourth dimensional view in that there is all equality. There is no dualist thought. Also, we have stated that if you define something, you also limit it. However, however, 
the more you define something, the more it comes back to its infinite definition. The I, the ego, the me always wants to define something, how it acts, how it behaves, etc., etc. We keep coming up for new definitions for the same thing until one day someone stands back and says, Hey, hey, over here. Hey, over here, guess what? All these things you're defining, it's all the same. That's right, they're all the same things. And that's exactly what's happening in this current structure of consciousness. If we look and study all religions, we come to an understanding, a very fourth dimensional understanding. As we said before, our soul is a fraction of the divine and as such there is no duality. With no duality there is no I am this and you are that. It is an encompassing we. If we define ourselves as fraction of the divine, we let go of all duality. As we said, race, gender, social status, etc. And this is a quote that was written um, 8th century, so over a thousand years old. Uh, and the, to pronounce it correctly, Vivdavika Shudamani. And I may have just butchered that, and I apologize. Uh, it was written over a millennia ago, and here's a quote. Beyond creed, I'm sorry, beyond caste, creed, family, or lineage, that which is without form, beyond merit and demerit, that which is beyond space, time, and sense objects, you are that God himself. Meditate this within yourself. This was written over a thousand years ago. This is clearly fourth dimensional thinking, almost, almost, with one, one exception. In it, uh, the uh, third, to, third to last stanza, you are that God himself. Clearly stating God himself is a duality kind of thinking. You're suggesting God is a he, which then suggests that there is a female counterpart, which would be less than that of the male. So that's duality. We can't really go with that, but everything it's saying and what it's pointing to is some very heads-up thinking, especially for over a millennia ago. And here we are today, even deeper in the eye and the ego. So with all of that, what is this about us not fitting in? Every one of us that has a, every one of us has a sense that pushes us forward. It's in our DNA, or rather, it has made up our DNA. It is why conversations of this type spark an individual interest. There's something very inherent in all of us, and I for one believe it's ready, ready to move forward. And most of us don't even know it or realize it. What is very interesting about the mental dimensional structure is that with the I and the ego, it, it is very one-sided. It's like walking around with blinders on. Remember we spoke about the ants feeling around. If you are stuck in the middle of the mental structure, your antennas are, are gone. You're just walking straight. And there's no other views to the left or to the right or behind you or anything like that. So the best thing for us to do is to continue to point out support for the structural consciousness movement. We've dabbled here today, and of course these, there's arguments against it, 
Um, but that's the partial point. We have the conversation, we see all points of view, and we continue processing until we have a newfound realization. We are all secret adventurers, and there's so much to explore in these structures of the past. So much that can be pulled out and examined with this current structure's eye. I implore all of you to do this. Every one of us has a cell phone. Every one of us can look up certain cultures, religions, etc. And it's in the palm of our hand, literally. Literally, it's very easy for us to do. All that requires is a willingness to do it. And what I've seen often in my time here um, is that a lot of individuals like what people say and believe what people say because the individuals who have something to say have studied and learned certain things. So they are seemingly experts in this area. And I would say, yes, listen to those individuals, um, myself included, and understand where they received all of this information from. And, and whatever they had studied, I would suggest that you study it for yourself. Because in my own experience, I have listened to individuals and thought that, yes, th this is great, they have it. And then when I start studying what they had used to form their opinions and thoughts and ideas, my opinions and thoughts and ideas were different. I come from a different state of consciousness when I'm reading what they read. And again, this is where the mental structure of consciousness traps humanity. Because we're so concerned with the I, the ego, that I found this, I'm going to name it after myself, and you're going to have so much more trouble disproving what I have proved that it's going to set us back hundreds of years. Because it's easier to prove something when you have nothing than it is to disprove something when you've already proven it. Isn't that the case? We make it so difficult for us to disprove what we've already proved because ego gets in the way. Individuals get in the way. They take it personal because they believe this is their work. And it all revolves around time. All of it does. What, like we said before, the divine has stayed the same. The structures of consciousness have changed. This works on all levels. This is how we know it to be true. So, everything stays the same. Individuals in their lifetime say they spend 10, 20, 30 years. And you hear it, it's bragged about. I've studied this information for 30 years. I know what I'm talking about. And this is this. Well, 30 years in an actual time scale, filled with hundreds of thousands of people's lifetimes, is such a smallest fraction of examination that it would be very difficult to believe that you have accurately defined whatever it is that you have defined. And it's why there are constant changes in what we believe and what we see. It's our concept of time that messes, us, that messes us up. And it's the concept of time through the ego. My lifetime. My life. Me. Me, me, me. 
The only time we begin to see things more clearly is when we see it from the we standpoint. Love thy enemy. Unconditional love. Kuan Yin, compassion. Buddha, consciousness. The Christ, love. So that is our overview today. Um, I was getting some feedback from a lot of our listeners, a lot of different questions about structures of consciousness, uh, how that works, how we can see it and understand it and use it through our daily lives and view everything through uh, the structures of consciousness, which is a very interesting way to process the world around you. Um, with that being said, let's switch gears. Um, a little uh, personal insight, personal growth. Uh, some friends of mine, coworkers at work, we were having conversations about uh, driving and uh, how frustrated sometimes we get with other drivers. And uh, it, it's very interesting in how we see ourselves in our vehicle when we're driving. We have a very tendency to be in the mental structure um, of consciousness in that it is very I, ego, me. Um, I am driving. Uh, if you don't use your blinker, um, you know, that you cut me off. I, I feel bad about that. I get upset about that. And we, we see all this negative turn of events take place. Um, so for me, uh, where I had learned to drive, there was a lot of kind of aggressive driving um, but everyone had followed the rules, legal rules. Um, and then when I had moved to this other state, uh, the driving uh, in this current state is very different than what I was used to. Um, aggressive driving here does not work. <laughs> and uh, defensive driving is the way to go. And honestly, folks, defensive driving is the way to go uh, every time you get behind the wheel. Um, but, you know, as, as we learn... Um, I, I would get very upset when individuals would, would do something while driving. And, uh, you know, I, I would probably say something not so nice under my breath or, or whatever it was. And I noticed these negative outbursts while I drove. And I also noticed how they made me feel, not just as I said them, after I said them, but well after I've already parked my car and started my day. Um, and of course, I'm, I'm speaking of the commute to work. So, uh, you know, these things would happen, uh, my commute to work. And then as I go into work, I'm bringing all this negative emotion and feelings into the workplace. Um, so right off the bat, uh, before we get any deeper, uh, please, everyone pay attention to everything that happens to you physically, um, how you feel emotionally, physically, causes. And when you start looking at things this way, you're able to make better choices uh, for yourself, healthier choices. So uh, for me, in, in this particular situation, I thought about it. And I said, you know, there has to be a way for me to rectify this. And I think one is more than likely just acknowledging that I'm doing it. So every time I would get frustrated or say something under my breath about another driver, I had come to the conclusion that I would say 
Hail Marys. I would just start saying a Hail Mary while I drove. And why not? You know, this is a very kind of Zen thing to do. You know, something, something happens like that and, you know, I, I want to pull myself out of it. Uh, spiritually and religiously, because to me that's kind of powerful, right? Um, that would have a very strong effect on me. And it did. And it did. But it didn't stop it completely. It actually took a lot of time for me to stop getting upset. And now I'm happy to report that not only am I 100% defensive driver, uh, not only do I not get upset with what other drivers do, but I'm not in so much of a rush to get to my destination. As a matter of fact, all of the individuals that pass me now, I now see at the next red light that has already turned green and I'm not even hitting my brake. I'm just coasting through. And it's so funny to, to kind of stand back and, and watch everyone be so excited and, and to be in such a rush to get to the next red light that they're not looking at the bigger picture. And I think we all do that on a larger scale. And it's worth it for us as individuals to always and constantly examine ourselves, examine our responses, our reactions to everything that affects us in this world. It's how we get to know ourselves. It's how we get to listen to our body. If something is, is if we're consuming something that physically is no good for us, your body will tell you, right? If you take up a hobby of smoking cigarettes, you're going to choke and start coughing, build up phlegm, um, uh, you know, not, not be able to breathe 100%. And there are all these negative signs that your body's saying it's no good. But somehow, some way, in this mental structure of consciousness, we stop listening to what our bodies are telling us. These individuals who have written things a millennia ago were listening to their bodies. Now, granted, they've had a lot more time to listen to their bodies than what we have now. We like to think that we have all this free time when in actuality, we fill it with more ego-filled things. Our free time may be a trip to the shopping mall to buy things that aren't necessary for survival. Not only did I sell furniture, I was also a manager of a retail store. And I remember one customer coming in and uh, I was trying to sell him some beautiful upscale shirt. And his response was, who really needs a new shirt? And it caught me off guard. And I thought, you're right. None of us need a new shirt. What shirt do I own that has so many holes in it that I cannot wear out in public. None. Zero. I have multiple shirts with no holes in it that I could wear for two weeks straight. And we all do to some degree. So it's very interesting to pay attention to, to things like this and, and of that nature. Um, so back to the, the car and, and vehicle thing and, and driving. If you find yourself getting upset, uh, just pay attention to it. And try to do something to counteract that. And then see your responses from then on. I will also say that in my change of, of driving, coming into work, I do not have any of the stress. 
um, any anxiety, anything. I come in in a very Zen state and it's wonderful. It's really wonderful. Um, so that was our overview, uh, little personal things uh, that, that I like to share um, that have helped me and I hope it helps someone else. Uh, I want to thank you all for listening. As always, if this strikes up a conversation with you, a loved one, a friend, please share it. Um, if you find yourself doing things that are fourth dimensional uh, thinking, uh, you know, using your hands and, and building things you've wrought with great care, um, please continue to do those things. Push others to do those things. I, I love that, that people are listening to this podcast, but I secretly want all of you to make your own podcast. I want you to talk about these things on your own too. Um, and, and not just podcast, you know, um, if, if, if you're painting or drawing or writing or any of these outlets that, that are very different than the ego and the I, um, I, I fully support these things because I, I think that, that these kind of outwardly expressions of humanity, um, that, that we can count them, we could view them. We can, with the ego eye, scientifically view them and prove and show that there is a different kind of evolution and not just a physical evolution. There is a consciousness evolution. And these things prove it. And I think it's worth all of our while to pay attention to it, to support it, and to try and get the rest of us there. So as always, thank you all for listening. I love you all very much. Um, I appreciate all the great feedback. Uh, thank you all. Uh, I also think uh, next week, since we did the overview uh, this week, uh, I would like to maybe, maybe find different uh, subcategories of religious philosophical thinking and pull different things of that out and see where the fourth dimensional thought lies um, just for fun and, and see what happens that may be next week's show or it may not stay tuned i love you all this is the truth with bill have a good day everyone goodbye hi folks it's bill again uh this is going to be a segment in addition to our fourth episode after listening to our fourth episode, I realized that I had forgotten uh, one piece of, of information um, that, that I kind of thought about that, that was brought to my attention. And uh, I, I really wanted to share it with you. And when we were discussing um, uh, structural consciousness um, in, in the mental, mental structure, our current structure now, and uh, showing the differences of, of being in this structure and, and previous structures, how we're able to view things differently based on our consciousness structure. So uh, one, one interesting point uh, is today, what just about every woman owns a pair of these in, in America today, um, and, and those are yoga pants. And it, it sounds kind of funny, but yoga pants have taken America by storm, right? They're all over the place in one form or another that uh, there are yoga pants. And 
what is interesting, not so much that these are yoga pants and they are very third dimensional uh, uh, thinking, very mental um, structural thinking in that these yoga pants hardly see a yoga studio or, or do yoga. Not all of them, you, you know, I believe me, I, I teach yoga. I know there's a ton of individuals that actually practice it, but there's also quite a bit who just buy this fashion accessory. And to some, buying it as a fashion accessory may, um, you, you know, may, may give a frown. Uh, but, but the interesting thing is the, the structural consciousness comfortability. And, and this is a, a kind of funny observation. So they're, they're pants and they are called yoga pants. But it is the comfortability with the word yoga that's important. And this phrase yoga today has become uh, so common that it's easy to say. And what I mean, so for example, I, I practice yoga, I, I teach yoga. If I were uh, doing yoga 100 years ago and I explained to someone that I was doing this great exercise and it was called yoga and I did all these different moves and each move represented a polytheist god or goddess or some kind of mythical historical occurrence but it's a great form of exercise I would have been burned or hung instantly for saying just that, just that, because of the, the area of structural consciousness a hundred years ago. Today, I tell my coworkers and friends and family that I teach yoga and, and I'm, you know, I, I practice yoga and there's an automatic sense of interest. It is the complete opposite of what would have happened a hundred years ago. So I, I really wanted to bring this about because it's, it seems like such a silly observation that, you know, every woman in America now owns a pair of yoga pants. And yeah, you know, there's a fraction of them that, that are, are practicing yoga. And then there's a fraction that, that don't, but regardless, it is the point that the term yoga is now commonplace, so commonplace that the ability to share it is much easier and the acceptance of it is much easier. It's very interesting in how the I, the me, the ego, in this structure of consciousness works for the betterment of the fourth structure of consciousness or, or fourth dimensional thinking of consciousness. And I just wanted to bring that to everyone's attention. Um, I apologize if you've already listened to the first, and uh, now there's this additional segment. Uh, in any case, I hope you enjoy it. I hope you enjoyed the podcast today and, and all of them. Um, I, I really just enjoy sharing these thoughts and with everyone because I, I like the feedback, and I, I like the idea of, of all of us getting on the same page and, and trying to get more people on the same page with with simple observations like yoga pants. Um, so if, if there's a theme today, it's yoga pants. Thank you all. Have a wonderful day. 
this is Bill, The Truth with Bill. Um, I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.